Hello and welcome to the Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast, where we address innovation and the law from three angles, people, technology and business. In our last podcast, we discussed the basic features of design thinking and the potential for design thinking in law and legal practice. Today, we're going to do a deep dive on legal design thinking together with two guests for today's podcast. The first one is our PhD fellow at the Faculty of Law at the University of Copenhagen, Nina Ries. Welcome. Thank you. So uh, Nina's PhD project examines how contract law can be applied to the increased business-to-business data trade. Uh, Before she joined our faculty, uh, she has previously worked as an assistant attorney um, in a law firm focusing on IT contracts, so she will give us great perspectives on on this particular angle. And our second guest today is Christian Jotze. Perfect. More or less. I apologize. Uh, Who uh, is also our um, alumni from our faculty here uh, in Copenhagen. Also, former assistant attorney uh, at Beckpoon, who uh, ultimately went to the darker side or lighter side, hard, hard to say, and turned an entrepreneur and co-founder of a legal tech company called Juristic. Yep. But then how do you pronounce it if, you know, would American then pronounce it Juristic? I think we actually pronounce it Juristic. You uh, yourself. Too, but I think... I've heard five different ways the last two days. Um, okay, so what, what, what were the different pronunciations? Uh, one is juristic. Uh, yeah. Uh, one is uh, with a very Danish accent uh, sometimes, and it, it mixes up a little bit. So I, I think it's a very fluent uh, term, which is actually quite great, to be honest, that it just lives. Yes. Um, I think there are a number of companies out there that have this kind of uh, spelling that you can pronounce in in various ways so so that we just that we're just trying to make sure that everyone who listens to us knows what we're talking about yep okay cool and by the way christian is was recently awarded with the cana nutenka Prix, so congratulations on that as well thank you very much all right guys so should we just kind of dive into it as we call this type of a podcast dive deep dive so Nina, maybe let's start with you. What do you, what are your thoughts on the entire concept of legal design thinking? Is this process anyhow valuable for the legal practice and practicing lawyers? Yeah, I think to a very large extent. And I think that it is actually also used um, by many lawyers. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of lawyers don't know that they use it, um, especially so I come from a contract law background. And a lot of making a good contract is actually going in with the client, figuring out whether they their needs, what are, what are they afraid of, what do they want for their contracts, mm-hmm. and then kind of tailoring the contract that way and having these iterations and idea sharing for together trying to make the best product. So I think in that sense, it's completely right and useful for lawyers. And mm-hmm. I think it's also used, but the lawyers don't know what they're doing. And do you think that there is any value in, you know, if we talk and teach lawyers when they, before they're becoming lawyers, right? And when they're at faculty yeah. of law and they are discussing different, because this is a process mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, is there any value of actually self-awareness, so to speak, about, you know, how this works and what are the elements in order for you to maybe also on a certain meta level reflect on your own 
thinking process. Yeah, definitely. I think so. And I think it would also makes it easier for lawyers to work with other um, sciences or mm-hmm. other types of um, yeah of workers that are more used to this kind of process. So I definitely think that would be a very good option. Um, I think what's always kind of the core problem when getting lawyers to acquire new skills, especially in law school, is how do we do it? How mm-hmm. do we kind of avoid um, design thinking becoming like another thing you have to write on your CV as like a fancy term of something that you acquired? Um, and how do we avoid that it doesn't add to the burdens of already learning the law, which mm-hmm. is very complex? Um, so I think there is definitely it should be more integrated into education, but I think we need to think how we can do it in a kind of holistic, wholesome way, mm-hmm. um, perhaps in how we, we design all of our courses. So it's not one specific course, for example, but more integrated in how we, we work in general. Yeah, maybe, you know, you both, you know, are, are um, have graduated from our faculty. And uh, as far as I know, there is the course on legal methodology. Mm-hmm. So would you consider as, as a potential part of legal methodology again as a from the process method perspective i think it would be a good place to start but i think what's also important is to not kind of make it only at the beginning because when you start law school i don't know about christian but you know there are so many things you don't Mm -hmm. know what you're doing and you kind of feel very lost so it can also be kind of a frightening thing to kind of ask these very big questions at the beginning um, so I think it's definitely a good place to start, but I think to kind of revisit it every now and then yeah. um, would be a very good idea. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts, Christian? Well, I actually think that that legal design, uh, I think the first step would be for lawyers to actually understand maybe that legal design and, and lawyering or like doing legal analysis is actually a little bit of the same thing when you deal with other people in, in reality. Let's say... You take the design part, you take a design, you take a graphic designer, UX designer, UI, and they have to find out, so what is it that we want? What is the end goal? What are the tools that we have at our disposal? And and how do we get there without, how do we solve this problem? And I think if you take lawyering at its most basic state, is that how do we get there? We have this problem, how do we solve it? What tools, i.e., for example, the laws, um, do we have at our disposal and and how do we solve it so for example i think it's completely right when you say for example with with contract building a lot of legal design goes into it um but i think that everything that lawyers do is is legal design in some way they are technically just designers they use their own language and i i think that's i that could be a really good first step to, to acknowledge that and maybe not only just have legal design as a as a thing in the methodology mm. but also just maybe considered part of uh, the method that we use um, in in total. All right. And how, you know, you call, I think that a couple of lawyers would, you know, be a little bit challenged if you call them designers. And definitely, I would say that even my drawing skills are far from any, you know, (laughs) designers or anything like that. But so how then could we use this method and process of legal design thinking for practicing lawyers? So, so you know, going back to your years when you worked in the law firm, um, how would you nudge those lawyers or your former colleagues? How could they today learn and use legal design like conceptually for their work? That's a tough question. <laughs> 
Um, I think if I just kind of take it the outside what I was working with, so I mm -hmm. was working with IT contracts. Yes. Um, and you can also kind of translate the, this to other types of contracts, but you need to get very deep into what is the product that your client wish to make the contracts for. And that's really complex if you're a lawyer and you don't know anything particular about tech. Um, so I think what's really needed is kind of a translation tool, whether it be visuals or another way to kind of translate the legal risk so that the clients can understand it. Oh, I, I love that. So so let, let's stay for a second here because mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I I would, you know, would love to hear more about so how could you visualize and transfer the legal risk into something that clients could use? I think it depends a lot on the deliverable. Like again, coming back to the other thing, it's what the what the user, what the what the client actually needs. So when you were looking at contracts, for example, what is the what is it that they they want? What is the outcome that they want? And if we have to to explain this to them in writing, that can become very difficult. You you brought up visualization, for example. Um, let's say you wanted to do transfers. Uh, you wanted to transfer data from one entity to another. Well, that can be drawn in a mm -hmm. visual style, for example, so that the, the the client actually understands what is going on and they can confirm this isn't what we actually want instead of using a lot of different words that maybe sometimes we even barely understand and have to look up every time we use them. Um, that can be a, a big part of it. Another, another, it's it's actually just using a lot of different ways and methods that we use in our daily lives, I think, to portray the the legal content and the legal results. Um, visualization, for example, could be a, a big part of that, but I'm obviously very biased. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think also another thing, and I'm not sure how this could be solved, but mm -hmm. I've been thinking a lot about it, um, is how we also make legal risk approachable for the clients. So for example, GDPR mm -hmm. is something that's very dreaded among a lot of people. Uh, perhaps especially tech yeah. people um, dealing with data. And every time they hear the word GDPR, they just like become miserable. Mm -hmm. But when you ask them, I mean, very few people want to make a product that's unsafe and that doesn't protect personal data. I mean, they want to make a product that's safe and um, based on the good values as the GDPR. So, but then why is it that everyone is so angry at the GDPR? Like, how do we kind of get the good intentions behind the GDPR into something that can be relatable by clients, for example. No, I, I, I really like this this perspective because I, I fully agree with you that often, and I don't know what it's us lawyers giving it a bad name to the poor GDPR, and then mm -hmm. lots of tech people feeling that, you know, this is a lot of fines coming my mm -hmm. way, but but yeah, generally, probably majority of the tech people want to create user-centric technology. Um, and of course, you know, they want to use some data. Even majority of the times they will say that they use this data for the purposes of making the product better and more, you know, everything so that the, that the user can use it. Um, so yeah, I just wonder you know also from your perspective christian how could we then translate this what nino is saying about values into through law towards visualization that is better understandable for um let's say a tech person 
I think it comes together. Like if we take legal design as a, an entire concept, I think it'll it lies in in what it wants to do, right? Finding a way to, as you say again, make it easier to understand, make it user centric, um, and I think it it comes together in kind of a um, in kind of a um, what do you call it? Um, a way where tech people have to work together with the client who has to. They have to work together with the the lawyer as well, so we have mm. to work together more instead of looking at it as separate functions. Um, for example, if you have to explain law in, in a good way to a client, you need to understand their needs um, before you actually try to find a way to, to show it to them. And as well, if you take tech people, for example, you have to understand how they work. And I, I think you, you see that problem um, in a lot of legal tech today without bashing bashing other products and etc cetera, etc cetera. but it's interesting to see that i think we we are very quick to bash the lawyers when it comes to legal tech and i think one of the the key things that i have found now talking to a lot of legal tech startups and something that i think a lot of up and coming legal techers mm-hmm. and and lawyers when they talk with tech people as well have to think about is that maybe we also need to show our processes as lawyers to the tech people so it comes together so Tech people can have maybe have a difficult time understanding how we actually work. Maybe we have to be more open about how we work, how we focus on the client, how we try to solve their problems. And then tech people have to try to help us with that and also understand the client instead of it just being a fancy, innovative solution. I think um, it has to come together. We all have to understand each other, I think, is, is, is the key thing. And I think in that sense, also something very basic, but when we kind of, as lawyers, we normally want to understand client needs. A lot of times the setup is, you know, you sit in a meeting, the lawyer has prepared some question and asked a question mm-hmm. and the client answers. Um, and that might not be the best way to get to know your client. Okay. Um, I exactly. think, for example, things such as, uh, you know, workshops or, of course, the comments are being used a lot in law firms, but like more kind of, informal integrated way of collaborating i mean it's just not known in law firms um so just kind of getting to know clients in another way for example through i don't know three-day workshop or some different team building exercise something might actually get us a long way just mm-hmm. like to start with that's something very basic yeah i i, com- I completely agree because I, th- I think what we we need to think about for example with the questioning that We've, we've, both, we've both been there sitting asking all these questions that I wrote in, in the beginning and sometimes they're very law focused instead of problem focused or very mm, yeah. solution focused. I'm very like, okay, so I know this condition in uh, whatever subsection of the, I was specialized in tax law, whatever subsection of the tax law and I, I, I just need to cross off that is yes or no, right? Um, without necessarily understanding what my client is doing um, and thus maybe I could have worked um, more client-centric that way and maybe found out like who are they actually, what are they trying to do so I could actually help them. Um, I, I completely agree with you on, on that point. So what I'm hearing is ultimately there are certain sections of our work as lawyers that are to, to on one hand, very, I call it computational, right? So there are yes and no, zeros and ones. And that's one part that is in theory, easy to, you know, click off or do a point or whatever. But there is also this larger group of our work where it's really this translation, understanding between uh, what are the needs, what are the wishes and so on. I remember when I used to practice, and that was a couple of years back, um, 
I really did not very much like when I needed to work on uh, on family law issues and helping, but it was obviously extremely relevant and important to to help clients to go through divorces and custody and all of this kind of often very nasty things. And truly at that point, you know, I think that some things obviously can be computational, but this is really heavy on understanding and empathizing with a client, knowing what is it that they want, what is it that they need, being able to communicate really what is feasible, what is not feasible, and, and, and really in this in the sense, and maybe I'm going away obviously here from the design design thinking, but there are these kind of what I'm trying to figure out is all these skill sets that we as lawyers need to have. And to some extent, I, I do think that in this creative part is this um, empathizing part, the legal design thinking can really help us, as I said, Nina, before, reiterate our processes, improve what we are doing. Exactly. And I think also part of what's perhaps also holding us back a bit is that it's a very scary process mm. because, you know, the good thing about computational lawyers work is that we can just kind of sit back and you know cross off all these legal questions and mm -hmm. no one can really get to us because they don't know the law so they don't know if we're wrong if we have to kind of actually engage with the client we also have to admit what we don't understand and perhaps try to think something outside the law so yes. we can't really keep to ourselves and just say well you know we're lawyers we can say yes and no and then no one can can touch us for it yeah no, I think, you know, that's another part on the entire vulnerability, right? As as, uh, as humans, but also as practicing lawyers, it's something that we are afraid of very fairly so often. Okay, maybe now moving a little bit and going back to the topic of our podcast today. I was wondering, Christian, whether you could tell us a little bit more about how your tool actually translates legal design into into practice i think coming back to to processes again i think a lot of law can be summed up into a lot of decisions that we make mm -hmm. that are problem oriented in some way and maybe sometimes taking the boxes a lot of law can be made into like kind of a decision tree of some sorts and i think that actually goes really well with um with legal tech and and technology and and legal programming and, and all that but i think what we are trying to do is that we're trying to take um, methods that lawyers already use, try to translate that into um, something that everyone understands, and then back to something that lawyers actually do. Um, for example, uh, taking the GDPR process again, uh, you could you could say that one or one of the things that you learn in, in law school is to draw up some things. So we work with visualization, for example, as a tool. So take mm -hmm. GDPR, imagine if you could draw up a flowchart where the data went, um, to which countries it, it, it goes, then all of a sudden the client may understand it a lot better than a, a long table of uh, a lot of complex words and, and contents. A computer may actually be able to understand it because it's maybe set up in a specific way that the computer understands, or it's simpler than just natural language, which is, which is super difficult to understand. And then the lawyer may actually also work with it in a in a design way where they actually think about what they're doing. Why is it that we are working with data in that way? Why is it that we're transferring data that, that way out? Can provide better insight, can explain things better. And then all of a sudden we have this uh, this situation where 
the tech understands the law, the lawyer understands the tech, and the client understands everything, and, and all of a sudden, that's at least that's what we're trying to do, right, with the visualization. <laughs> yeah. So to, to sum it up, imagine if you could draw something and then, then all of a sudden out pops documents, right? So that is, for example, one of the things that we're doing. And uh, do, let's say, so I imagine that the, the tool is designed for lawyers. Exactly. So, uh, so what skills do they need to have before they could use the tool? Do they need to have some kind of a training and drawing or design thinking or anything of that sort? I think um, I'd, I'd love to say that you need absolutely nothing. And I mean, obviously, um, you need sometimes, sometimes an introduction to how things work. But what we want to remove is the obstacle of of having to go on a three day course before you can actually do it. We want to do it with something that is more natural to uh, the end user, whether it being the client or, or, or the lawyer in reality. So we are trying to take concepts that we know from law school, something mm -hmm. that we, we have all tried, um, and then take that and see, okay, that input that you actually work with, instead of having to write down a lot of words, could you just do what you have done throughout the entirety of your law school and then let the computer translate it instead? So to answer your question, I think a little introduction as to how things work, mm -hmm. more like this is like this is your new car. You, it's a, an automatic gear, so don't try to press the third pedal that does not exist. Yeah. And something simple like that, and then you're just going. Okay. And is the tool some kind of a, just for the lawyers to better conceptualize it? Or is it a tool that you also imagine being collaborative? Because we spoke a little bit about the collaboration right, bringing in different specialties and even more so, I can just imagine, you know, needing like more complex IT contracts, you would need inputs for a number of stakeholders. Yes. Right, so could these, let's say, if we try to apply your tool for, for Nina's uh, larger, let's say, IT software contracts, could you invite all of these people? Could they collaborate on the visuals and they would they be able to put in their insights and inputs? Uh, absolutely. I think I think the future is collaborative, whether or not we, we think um, anything else, we think legal, we think uh, any business function actually I think it's collaborative and a lot a lot of functions are already collaborative so imagine you take the whiteboard that I was talking about before you take you design a contract within that whiteboard for mm -hmm. example which steps do you need to, to go through you click a link or you invite them this is their email and then all of a sudden you're all working together right you all have a uh, like Google Docs for example you can see the, each other's mice mm -hmm. um, pointers and um, you just work together I think that's the future you can save a lot of time you can save a lot of misunderstandings and and again try to to get that understanding i think is the main purpose of of legal design thinking or one of them so absolutely what do you what, what's your take nina on this is is this you know i'm just as you were just mentioning this like online tool right yep. i just wonder why is it that now suddenly there is much more talk about this collaboration also among the, the lawyers vis-a-vis -vis other profession, um, professions. Why is it that without this tech part, why when we are just us humans without anything digital, wouldn't it be natural for us to collaborate in an easy way? Why is it that suddenly because of all of these tech tools that are out there, we are more pushed towards 
collaboration. And I, you know, I just came to my mind as you were talking about the Google Docs, right? So, because this collaboration should be also feasible in, you know, if we are mm-hmm. not digital. Yeah, it's a good, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know if we talk about lawyers uh, and like how the law setup has been like historically it's been very much you know each party has their own lawyer and they have meetings yes. and then sometimes mm-hmm. they meet in this very hostile atmosphere mm-hmm. um i think as far as go for contract law and especially it contracts which have always been a very collaborative contract form because you often have very long contracts and you need to kind of you know see each other every day for five years perhaps so okay if you like enter into a long hosting contract, yes. for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in that way, the collaboration spirit have been there already mm-hmm. um, and have also been encouraged. But I think as with other things, if we can make it easier, if it's easy, I mean, it's the same when, when we got the Teams meetings or Zoom meetings, right? Suddenly it was much easier to meet up and discuss minor things instead of just having these very long drafting meetings where everyone was tired after five, six hours. Um, so I think in in that way it was it's working on something that was already kind of edging on, mm-hmm. um, but it will just make it much much easier I think. And also I think the element where you can kind of everyone can see what each other is doing also kind of fosters this trust. That's also in, at least in my opinion what's the the core of contracts and contracts law, right? You want you don't want to be enemies. You no. want to like collaborate. Yeah, how can we make the best contracts, yeah. the best foundation for our work together? I th- I think I think you're absolutely hitting the head of the nail there. Like, I think a lot of it comes down to speed uh, when it comes mm-hmm. to it. Like we talk about ease of use, but actually I think supplementary to that is the the speed. Um, we can enter into a meeting now instantly, and I can speak to someone on the other side of the planet mm-hmm. um, instantly. And I I think the future of, of technology when it comes to that I think also lies in maybe for ease of use or speed or collaboration that the future would be instead of discussing the things that we agree to maybe we end up discussing things that we don't agree to so we can actually work together on that so very instantly speed or ease of use we can we can highlight the things that we do not agree on and then we can focus on it together in the same board or in another technology at the same meeting so we actually save some time instead of all those meetings i think Maybe we are all a little bit tired of Teams meetings at, at this point, uh, two and a half, three years into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also there's there's really a lot of value in speed. Uh, you might underestimate it, but you know, sometimes if you have very huge contracts where negotiation takes, I don't know, half a year, seven, eight months, you know, you kind of in the process see that all kind of the same issues pop up again and again, and then people have forgotten that they actually kind of came to a consensus yes. at some point. Yeah. So in, in that way, it's always good to to close contracts as quickly as possible where we have the momentum and where, you know, people find each other. Yeah, I mean, in the business reality where you have lots of things going on, obviously being able to conclude and and, and discuss the key issues of the contract as, as soon as possible is always valuable. Yeah. Okay, and maybe... Okay, we are running <laughs> a bit long, but that's always the case when we have an interesting topic and great uh, guests for the podcast. All right, guys. So, so if you had like one vision for legal design thinking or or these kind of processes that we have just discussed, what would that be? Where are we heading? I think that looking into collaboration looking into alternative 
and alternative tools mm -hmm. and alternative ways of delivering law will be the future where we include the client and the technologist into the legal side of things. I think looking at law as a separate thing is something that will at a certain point be of the past because legal and law, especially with all the regulation and compliance that we're mm. seeing, is just inherently baked into everything that we do. Um, so I think the future of doing like thinking design and thinking legal and thinking technology into all of it into into one. So let's say you draft a contract, but you think business into it, you think technology into it, you think how can I make this clearer for the client? Can I show them in a different way? Can I like um, can I make sure that everyone is on the same page um, and and deliver them the results or the the conclusions, the consequences in in a faster, smarter way? I think that will be the future, and I think a lot of law isn't will no longer be in writing. It mm -hmm. would rather be in illustrations or icons or symbols or maybe even feelings or um, uh, something more, much more 4D than we are used to, I think, which would be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with Christian. That was a very, very nice vision. Um, if I have to take like the bit more pessimistic, <laughs> yeah, cynical sure. view, um, I, I think we're definitely heading there. And I think there's the will to collaboration, especially among um, the lawyers. What I think would be one of the challenges is perhaps to get the regulatory framework. You know, you mentioned yourself, especially within tech, we're seeing this kind of big cascading of regulation coming at a very high speed, um, which sometimes people don't really understand. Sometimes perhaps lawmakers don't understand it. Um, so, so I think there's also definitely a challenge in kind of getting that whole part kind of within the collaboration framework. So we actually also make it accessible, the law the lawmakers are making for the businesses. Okay, I like both of your visions. I like the 4D and I like the accessibility. So I, with these two key kind of uh, elements, um, I thank you both for joining me today for the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. And to all of our listeners, um, thank you for listening and join us next time for 101 on algorithms. Stay tuned. This is Copenhagen Legal Tech Lab podcast at the Faculty of Law of the University of Copenhagen. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media and your favorite podcast platform.